we have fresh batteries, and we are good to go. So uh, Pastor Kyler preached last week. He did a great job. He actually did refer to Hebrews, where the Word of God is sharper than a double-edged blade, is in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, if you're wondering why that is, it's because it fit his sermon. But we've been in the book of Hebrews uh, since August, and... Um, it is a continuation of the book of Hebrews that I was doing last year. We took a break throughout most of uh, the craziness of 2020. But I wanted to get back into it, and we find ourselves in chapter 13. And uh, we'll be in verses 5 and 6 this morning. But I want to start with a question. Have you ever wondered... Now, you, you don't have to raise your hand, because I know we're in church, and everybody wants to be really spiritual in this moment... But have you ever thought, man, the Bible requires so much of me. There are things in the Bible that um, it says I should do or I shouldn't do, but I don't want to do or I do want to do. And this could be like Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in Hebrews today. And I've talked to some people who, uh, not necessarily are Christians, but who have I've come across in life and they said, you know what, my philosophy of life is this. I'm going to do what I want when I want to do it. And that's just the way it is. You have to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gratify myself. I'm going to do it because I want to. My desires matter. And I've seen that work maybe for some people in the short term. I've seen some people where it just goes really bad. But here's my question with this idea that I'm just going to do what I want to do. It doesn't hurt anybody else or, or it's, just, it's just who I am. But what if your desires that you have for your life become your greatest regrets when you look at eternity. Maybe you have something for a, for a fleeting moment that you, that you enjoy or you indulge in, but then after it's like, oh. It's like every time I go to town, and it used to be Big Macs, but now it's Burger King. But it's like, I desire it so bad, and my, my girls are no help, because usually we're on our way to town to go see Tara. She has a late work, working shift, and so we, we hit right there at the Bethel Church exit, and Avery, actually it's more so Claire, she goes, Dad, Burger King? And I'm like, yes. I'm like, absolutely, I'm going to be a good parent and feed my children. And so we go to Burger King, and they get the little $3 meal, and I always have to get the, the two Whoppin' House, actually five bucks. It was two for six. They dropped the price, two Whoppers for five bucks. And so I eat my Whoppers, and I'm like, ugh. Now that, that, that sounds simple enough, but again, with this question, what if your desires become your greatest regrets in life? It doesn't have to be Whoppers or Big Macs. But it could be those things. You know, one of my, my life verses is John 10.10, where Jesus said, I have come that you might have life in all of its fullness. That there is a, there's a quality of life and a fullness of life that we only find through Jesus. Amen. But yet there's a struggle of wanting to do some things we want to do that go contrary to what God says we should do. And then we find ourselves asking questions like, how can you say that the Bible offers me freedom when it demands so much of me? I mean, really, does, does this look like freedom? I know it does. Stop giving me the Christian answers. I, I, know, I know you agree with me. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's times like, oh man, forgiveness? Be meek? Keep my mouth shut? You're asking too much. I, I just have to say it. I have to do it. It's crazy how this book can look 
so intimidating at times and so demanding when you're looking at it from the outside, but it's equally amazing how when you come into a situation in life and you surrender to the Word of God and you say, you know what, the Bible says I'm supposed to do this, so I'm going to do it. How God somehow comes through and it feels good. And you see results and you see good fruit in your life. And all of a sudden, there, there's things that take place down the road that go good for you. You're like, man, I don't know how that happened. But it did. Amen. It comes down to this. Whether it's God's way or your way, my desires or his desires or maybe somebody else's desires, you're going to serve somebody or something. You can, you, you can serve yourself. But then, you know, yourself is your master, your own desires. You can serve God. That is the best way. We know that. Maybe you're serving your job or your education or, or a person or a worldview. But you are going to serve somebody or something. It could be an addiction. You see, we all have something in our lives that guides our lives, determines what we do and how we do those things. Even living a life with no rules or no regrets has rules, doesn't it? That's what you serve. That's what you follow. So the title of my message this morning, go ahead and put it up there, Michael. One of my best favorite movies. You must choose, but choose wisely. Have you ever seen Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade? You know, they're in there and you know he has to choose the cup. I, I just like that, and it, it just fit me perfectly. But we're going to find here in this text this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. We're going to be talking about something that, honestly, I don't really like preaching about. I don't have a problem preaching. I will do it, because I see the benefits of it. But we're, we're going to be talking about money. We're going to be talking about what has our hearts. A lot of times, the reason why I don't like talking about this is because as soon as I say money, people are like, oh, the pastor wants more money in the account. I was having an addition on his house, or he needs to fix his truck. It is not that. It isn't. But I, I find the greatest blessing in my life comes from giving God all that I am first. We, I give him, and this is something Tara and I, we've modeled our entire lives. We, we always give God the first of our week. Not just because we're pastors. I was talking to someone this this morning. I was like, I, I can't not be in church. It's like, honestly, I feel like I was sinning. Because I have to give God my first. I have to give God the first of my day. I have to at least get up and say, good morning, Father. And acknowledge Him and spend some time with Him. I need to give Him the first of my finances because the Bible is where your heart, or where your, is that right? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So, I have this principle, I give God my best. I give Him my first and He blesses the rest. It's not my, my phrase, but it's good. Give God your best, He blesses the rest. And this is how we have this fullness of life. And so this, what, what, I, what I appreciate about going through books of the Bible is I don't get to choose what I preach. So you can't say the pastor just wants to talk about money. No, the Bible actually put us in this very directly this morning for this reason, this season. So we, we all come from different backgrounds. I, don't, I, I, I grew up, I'm not going to say we were poor. We always had a roof over our head. We always had food. Uh, on the table. My, my parents always had something, but as a child, there's a lot I didn't know about, probably. But we were not any, by any means rich. 
But I had parents who I witnessed how they lived their lives, giving God the best of their lives always. And so for me, when I talk about money, it is not difficult for me to, to even be an example of what I preach. It's super easy for me because I've seen tremendous blessings and fullness of life by putting God first in every which way I can. I've heard some people say, well, Christians shouldn't be wealthy, or you need to be, be poor or be humble. or it, it, it's, it's not about that. We're going to go through a lot of things today. But a question for, me, for you is this. Why does Jesus talk about money so much in the Bible? In fact, they, they say that one of the greatest things he talked about in the Gospels is money, this issue of money. More verses devoted towards that than anything else. And why would he do that? And it's simply because of this. God is a jealous God. He is. Amen. Amen. He wants your affection first. He wants your love first. He wants your heart. And he knows that you're going to bend a knee to something. And he wants you to bend that knee to him in relationship. And the reason is this, because we, we are such a materialistic world today. We, we really are. Even the most uh, naturalistic people out there, they're materialists. I, it, it's funny, I, I've talked to some people like, Oh, I'm not all about the, the big flashy truck or this or the house. But then they get their little micro home or whatever thing. They get a little gadget like, oh, this is, oh, this is all amazing about the different things. We're very materialistic. And it doesn't have to be big and flashy to be something that, honestly, for me, it seems to go boom. Okay? If you know. In Monster Rock, you should know that. Things that go boom are good for me. So, all right, back on track. My mind is... I actually got to go shooting yesterday, and it was so nice. It was therapeutic to squeeze the trigger and just. And I had Avery with me. I was like, I was like, don't do it once. I said, fast. It's like, boom. It's like, oh, I like that. So, anyways, and it was flashy. Muscle flash. Okay. God knows that there are things that are competing against Him in this life. Even my guns. But he doesn't want them to own us. He is a jealous God. And he knows that there are things that compete for his affections and compete for our affections. And there's a reason why he says, put me first. And the best way to put me first is to put your money where you say your mouth is at. Because it, it affects our heart. God will always go after that which goes after us. To bring, him back, to bring us back to him. This is something, this is a, a principle you see all throughout the Bible. That God goes after those things which try to take our affections away from him. And that's what any, any uh, loving husband or father or spouse would do. We're not going to let things that are competing with our families uh, take away our affections. And God is our heavenly father. And he wants to see us close to him. It's always found that there's this, this freedom issue throughout the Bible. And so we're going to be in Hebrews, and right before we get to 13, I want to reread a verse, the last two verses of chapter 12. We hit these a couple weeks ago. And this is what the writer says. He says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Okay, this, so as a Christian, when we get Jesus into our lives, we are now a part, we are sons and daughters, princes and princesses, rulers in this kingdom of God that is eternal. Amen. It is not temporal, Okay. 
It says, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. You see, now we're not a part of this temporary kingdom. We're part of something that is not earthly. We're part of something that is eternal. Now we're not... Actually, I just said that. Okay. Now, your, your life, you, maybe you live 70 to 90 years or you know, somewhere in that range. If you're over 90, we'll say 100. But, uh, you know, it, it's not like this is all that there is, this, this little time frame of life. We have eternal life that is now and will go on for a long time. So don't bow or be in bondage to this life. To this current situation. Don't live in such a way that this life has such a great hold on you that you cannot think eternally. So chapter 13, as we come into it, well, 12 and 13, we have this response in Hebrews about what I mean the, the whole book of Hebrews up to chapter 12 is why Jesus is greater, why he's greater than the law, why he's greater than Moses, why he's greater than angels. All these things in life, and now in 12 and 13, we start seeing, now since this is who Jesus is to you and to me, here's how you should live. And so we're getting the application part. So let's read our text this morning, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I think that was actually prayed like three or four times, and even in our songs this morning. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say this with confidence. The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? So don't fall for the lie of the temporal, that which is right now in front of you. Because you're part of something that's going to last forever. If Jesus is your Lord, if you're a Christian, you will be eternal. You have eternity with God. So why don't I have fear? It's not because as soon as I become a Christian, I am healthy, wealthy, and strong. Sometimes we think that, oh yeah, fire insurance and all that. God's going to bless me and give me everything I want. It's not that. It's not because of where I am in life. It's because of who I am with in this life. This is what we need to understand as Christians. This is why... We, we need to not let money control us because of who is with us. Amen. When you need help, God's going to be there. He's going to be your helper. When there's something that you're afraid of, He's going to be right there with you. When you feel mistreated or hurt, your response can be, what can people really do to me? Because you have God. You see, you're going to be in places where you have great need. You'll be in places where you have fears. You're going to be in places where you feel threatened. But as a Christian, you have God on your side. He's with you. Amen. Does this apply to anybody besides myself? Yes. Okay, okay. You may not be where you want to be, but that's why, according to the scriptures, that's why we need to learn to be content. All the time, there's things that I may want or places I want to be. One of the greatest, the wisest quotes I ever heard, and I think it was originals from a pastor's wife that we worked for in Lewiston, and we, I remember we were at a, a Mexican restaurant in Clarkston, Washington, and she said, the grass is only greener by the septic tank. 
And I thought, that is so true. We, think, we, we see things that we think look so good, but we need to be content with where we're at, because we're going to go towards greener grass, it's going to stink right there. So, that's extra two. You see, life will take us places where we'd rather not be. There's some things that are out of our control, but we need to learn to be content, satisfied with where we are in life. But here's the thing, when I talk about biblical contentment, in fact, Pastor Kyler hit this yesterday, last week in Philippians chapter 4, but he said, you know, how we need to take things and not take them out of context. And I think we sometimes will take biblical contentment out of context, where we think, like, you know, it's okay that I'm in this horrible situation, I just need to grin and bear it and deal with it. Suffer through and soldier for Christ. It doesn't mean that you just need to grin and bear it. Be content with the, with the hurt that you're going through. Biblical contentment, it means you're going to find your pl yourself in places of great need. You're going to find yourself in places where you are afraid. You're going to find yourself in places where you feel at risk or you're threatened. You may lose your job. You may lose your house. You may find yourself in places where someone has hurt you, where you feel rejected. Or maybe they leave you because they're tired of being with you. You may not like where you are. But you're going to learn to walk through those things because of who is with you. It's not about where you're at. It's about who is with you. That is what really determines biblical contentment in our lives. You see, in that place, you're going to find God. And you're going to find that He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be there for you, fighting for you. A God who is a great helper, a great provider, and a great defender for your life. This may be different than the biblical contentment that you've heard of in the past. But this is true. This, this is in the context of the scriptures. You know, I, I talk to a lot of people in our church and, and in our community as well. Uh, who are in places where they don't want to be. I'm not saying living in Mossy Rock, I'm saying life situations, possibly. You know, I, I pray with people that just found out that, that they have cancer. That their business is going to downsize next week. So many hard situations in life. And what I can't say is, well, sorry, just deal with it, I guess. Just suffer for Jesus like a good little soldier. Sometimes I don't even know what to say, but I say, you know what? He's for you. He's not against you. He's with you. Amen. I know this might be hard, what you're going through right now, but God is with you. Right. You see, this sermon this morning is not just a topic that we hit as we're going through the text, but it's a theme found throughout the Bible. There's this command to be content and to be generous and to, to know who you're with. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The, the book of Timothy is written by Paul, and some think that Paul wrote Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, it doesn't say. A lot of people think he did. But Paul is this guy, he's an apostle, and he wrote to all these churches that he planted and where he placed pastors. And Timothy was a pastor that he placed in Ephesus. You know, there's also a book in the Bible called Ephesus, right? And so Timothy was there, and it says he was a young guy, and one of my favorite verses, especially when I was a youth pastor, was, don't let people, don't let people look down on you for being young. You know, as a pastor. And so Paul wrote this to Timothy and trying to encourage him as a pastor. And so Timothy had really this huge church. is a church that everybody's talking about. There's letters written to this church. And Paul, in his writings to Timothy and how to be a good pastor, gives him commands to give to the Christians. 
to the early church. And in chapter 6, verse 17, this is what he says to Timothy. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. That's a key word. It's okay to enjoy what you have. Uh, okay, stay on track. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure, their, their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Amen. See, this is a message to the church in the first century by an apostle. It's a command to the church, be generous. Use your money for good. Help those who are in need. It goes against a lot of what we say, you know, I'll take care of me and mine, and I just want to get more and more and more and more. It says to be generous. Do good. It's a command. It's building a financial plan that goes beyond death. Does anybody have retirement plans? You don't have to raise your hands. Okay. But, you know, we, we plan so much for this life. How much planning are you doing for eternity? Now, with that, the Bible does not condemn wealth. Honestly, I think you should be wealthy. I think you should, I think you should take steps towards acquiring wealth in your life. I think that is biblical. It doesn't say you shouldn't have money. Or that you shouldn't have a temporal retirement plan. That's what I'm going to be calling it now. Rather than an eternal one. It's not against those things. It just says make sure that your finances are rich towards God. Amen. You can plan for this life and have nice things. But is your finances rich towards the Lord and what He values? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was saying how we have all these plans for our kids, like have straight A's or be on the basketball team or go to college. But you know, God's priorities are that our kids are going to be holy, that they have faith. Yeah. I mean, we, we, have, we, have, we have kids that are growing up to that are, that are all these amazing things, but they aren't holy in the church. Same thing here. We, we, we should be looking towards eternal things also with our riches. Be generous and rich towards God. Don't fall for the temporary lie that this life right now is all that you should focus on. Even at death, think about this. We, we spend so much of our time trying to take care of the people who are still here after we die. And you know what? That is actually biblical. In Proverbs it says that a wise man leaves inheritance to his children's children. So there's nothing wrong with these things. But again, we need to be rich towards the Lord. That's what I'm trying to get at here. Amen. The Bible says that overemphasis on the temporal, the here and now, is foolish for the Christian. It's not foolish for the atheist. This is all they got. I mean, honestly, that makes sense to me. If, if I was an atheist and I didn't believe in God, I would, I would blow it all here. Why not? But for the Christian... To not be rich towards God, making in eternal investments into this, this unshakable kingdom which is ours. Amen. Man, talk about foolishness. 
Talk about regret. That, that's why here, as, as, as the Hebrew preacher winds down this Hebrew sermon, he says, because we know Jesus is greater and all this stuff, invest into the kingdom. Because you and I, were part of this kingdom. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be taken away. Your financial portfolio better have investments with dividends that will give eternal dividends. Not just now. Make plans for 500 years from now. I wanted to find the commercial. I couldn't, but I, I think it was Prudential. Have you seen the one where it has all the people uh, lined up and they're like in squares and they start walking and lights the ground up underneath them? And then one guy stops here and then someone goes here like, oh man, I thought my retirement would have gone so much further than it did. You know, they start walking and they have to stop here. Fidelity, that's what it is. We, if I should have talked to you on Wednesday. I could have had it. We could have watched the video together. But uh, you don't want to take your last breath on this life and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're walking forward you're like, okay, your eternal investments stop right here. Doesn't mean you're not going to heaven, but you're like, man, I could have gone so much further. If only I'd realized how short this life is. Money, it's a tool. It's a tool to use. It's not supposed to be a ruler over your life. Okay? Jesus talked a lot about money. Not because he needs your money, not for a bigger house or a paycheck, but because he's a jealous God. Because he knows what we compete with in this life. He always goes after that which goes after our relationship with him. Okay? Look what it says in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in the barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Why don't you worry about these things saying, or why do you, so why worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. We call ourselves Christians, God's children. But if our focus is on what we want next, our daily needs, and how we can fill ourselves as a result with, with worry and anxiety, it robs us of who we really are. This is what the Hebrew preacher is trying to say. It's like, we know Jesus is greater. So don't put your money first. Be rich towards God. Money, the love of it, not money, but the love of money, it's in competition with God. And he doesn't want it to win. 
And so he talks about it. You see, you have to decide what your life goals really are. Are you going to pursue God or are you going to pursue money? That's going to be our, our, our points this morning, money and God. Jesus talks a lot about it because we need to have freedom in him. Because we are children of God. And we have this in Matthew 6, and I think, you know, will I'm surprised Claire hasn't used this verse on me as we're going past Burger King. Will a father allow his child to go hungry? No, he won't. Burger King, we're going. But I was thinking about bird's nests. And I, you know, again, you're, you're going to just get, uh, not the pettiness, I'll say the humanity of me. I hate bird's nests, just so you know. I, I don't mind if I see them somewhere else, but if they're by my house, I hate them. I love my pressure washer. The visual imagery here, right? So I, I, uh, on my house, uh, I, I built my house, and I, I helped build the church and stuff. And there's certain things you do. There's things called like bird blocking. You know, it's blocking that you put in. And it has like, so the air gets up in your, your attic space, but it has like some, some mesh that, so the birds can't go up there. And so my house is all bird blocked, but there's some places in my house where they, they say, make sure that you have, that there's no holes anywhere between the walls and the roof, underneath the soffits and stuff, because things get in there. And I did a pretty good job, but, you know, as you, as you finish building the house, I mean, it's like 13, 14 months, you get tired. And my, my roof is an 8-12 pitch roof, so there's a place where if you're trying to get in there, it's like you slide off trying to get in there. So there's this one part, this dormer, uh, facing east of my house, where I just couldn't reach up any further. I was like, ah, nothing's going to get in there. <laughs> so, uh, in the first year there was, because we, we moved into the house, I think, in late May, and, uh, but the next year... April, May rolls around, and there's swallows. And I'm like, what is that? And I, and I see bird poop and straw dripping down my, the side of my house. I'm like, oh, it's on. I let it have about three or four years. I just, honestly, I was burnt out. I just didn't want to mess with it. But this last year, I dealt with it. I sprayed bee stuff all over in there. I shoved... Uh, steel wool, and I shoved, like, all this stuff, and I, I crammed this hole, and then I felt bad. I never used to. It's something about getting older, it's just, it made me having kids, but I, I felt bad for the swallows, and so I built up some birdhouses, and I put them on my fence, and they started to use them, and, uh, but it's crazy, you know, as, I, I didn't see any, maybe, I didn't, maybe I'm not a good builder, because they went in, but they never kept a nest there. Maybe there's a sermon in that. But I've seen nests where, this, this, this is getting on, on track now. I've seen nests where there's, there's little eggs in there and the, the, the birdies hatch. And you know, at some point, the mama bird and the daddy bird push the babies out of the nest and they flap and they fly away. That's you know, the, the empty nest thing. And also you see the, the mom or the dad there and they're in this empty nest. But you, the reason why it's empty is because this is how God just made animals. That when, they, when you push them out, and they sort of flap, and they, they, they fly, and they fly off, they never come back. They have this innate instinct to survive, and God somehow, they, they know how to eat insects and worms and all these things, and they live. And if God can do that for a bird, with a bird brain, can't he do that for some bird brain people, who he just needs to have trust him? God gets it. He's worked it all out. 
So look past your temporal situation and start looking towards eternity. You know, in Luke chapter 12, I'm not going to uh, go there, but it talks about this guy who invested his life and he acquired so much. He said, you know what? I got so much stuff. He didn't think I need to downsize. He's like, I need to upsize. I need to upgrade. I need to build bigger barns. And so he built bigger barns for more of his stuff. Then he got to this place where he says, okay, we're good. All my stuff is covered. And it says, then he died. And it's like, you fool. You don't know your days. We build bigger bars, put bigger stuff in to have more things, and then our life ends. That's how it is for those who are not rich towards God. So what are you investing in right now that will give you a return a thousand years from now? 10,000 years from now. What are you investing in right now that you can just be taking these steps towards eternity? And I was like, oh, that's as far as you could go. You are a Christian. We should know better. It's all throughout the Bible. Will we be a servant of money or a servant of God? So loving money, it's wanting more. Making that the pursuit of our lives. And I understand, I, I, I get it. You know, we, we have to work. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with money. But it's when that's all we care about, is getting more for me. It's a trap when we make money the focus. Another guy in the Bible, you know, heard of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he asks these questions. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it, it's, that wasn't an easy question. And Jesus was like, well, it's not just one thing. It's a couple things. First, you'll love God with all your mind, soul, and heart, everything that you are. But then you also have to love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes, I've already done all of this. He goes, well, I'll tell you what. One thing you haven't done. Go sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. You, you mean I need to serve you more than I serve my money? And it says that he walked away disappointed. You see, you cannot be in love with God without being generous to others. But at the same time, what good is generosity if you don't love God? They, they, they go hand in hand. You see, your love for God and your love for others, this is, what, this is the response that God wants from us. Really, He demands it from us because He is a jealous God. And so, as Christians... I can't make this promise for you, but this is a promise that Tara and I have. I mean, we've not like, talked a lot about it, but we knew this, is that we're going to be generous with our money and with what we have because we love God. And we want to love people with that. I've heard some people say, well, if I had more money, I could do so much more. The reality is, no, you wouldn't. If you're not generous now, you're not going to be generous then. Generosity... It's not a state of mind. It's, well, actually, it is a state of mind. I'm sorry. It's not the state of your bank account. It is the state of your mind. It's a condition of your heart. Greed, it is the logical result of every belief that says there is no life after death. Because you have to, honestly, okay, I'm going to just for a moment. COVID, you can tell that this is an atheistic push. All the focus on the here and now and protect everything. I'm not against precautions and being careful, but they like our society holds so tightly onto what's right now because they don't believe in God, because they're all about the science. It's messed up. 
As a Christian, I'm not saying don't be wise, but don't be fearful. My verse through all this has been, God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So use it. But greed? Get your mask on. Because I'm greedy for life. Because there's nothing after this life. That's how society sees it. Whole other sermon. I'm done with that horse. Let's whip another one. If there's nothing after this world's life, then yes, you better get all you can get right now. But you know that's not true as a believer. So let's go for number two, loving God. Where you put your heart, your mind will follow. Your actions will follow that. That's what the Bible says. That's why it says give give God these things. Give God your best. Because then you know he has your heart. So let your heart, set your heart on something else. And God's going to have to work really hard to get you back in line. I've seen it every time in my life. Every time I let my, uh, my focus go somewhere else, God's like, Brian, come on, get back on track. And if I say no or if I won't turn my head, it's hard. And why is it hard for God to keep you on track when he's not your focus? Because he wants all of you. He doesn't want a part of you. He doesn't want your Sunday morning. He wants your life. Loving God and desiring to have even more money? Is that even possible? Yes, it is. Well, I'm not going against what I just said. You can love God with all your mind, your, your, your soul, your heart, your strength, and become wealthier. It is possible. I'll say this. Don't be that Christian that when your boss wants to give you a raise, no, it's all right, I've got Jesus, I don't need any more. Don't be that way. That's a stupid Christian. I'm sorry, but it is. There's nothing wrong with wealth. In fact, I encourage you, you should acquire wealth in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't let your money own you. You own, you, you own it. And God owns that. It's okay to have money. Just be sure that it's not the object of your life. Be rich towards God with what you have. Make sure money is not the love or pursuit of your life, but acquire wealth. That's not an oxymoron. It works because honestly, the, the kingdom needs that. Look at there. There's a lady in the Bible. Her name is Lydia. It says that she's a seller of, of fine fabrics. Do you know that she almost independently financed the Apostle Paul's ministry for nearly 20 years? She was wealthy. And she used that wealth towards the Lord. There's other examples. There's nothing wrong with having or desiring to have more. But it has to come under loving God first and then loving others. And seeing that what you have more of is because you love God and you want to love others. Third is this. Make this. Make more of God the pursuit of your life. If the, more of, if the only more of God you get is Sundays from 10.30 to 12, which means I have like five minutes, you're not doing a good job. You're not making God more of your life. You know, we live in a time where you can go online and there's a thousand really good podcasts out there. You, you can go to, there's worship music on all the time and then there's like the 59 minutes with, or 59 seconds with some guy, I don't remember what his name is. It's good. 
like Giglio is one of them. There's, there's these other ones. Lusco, something Lusco. Levi Lusco, that's what it was. You know, there's all these things. There, there, there's all around you, there's, there's opportunities to get more of God. So make that your pursuit. Read your Bible. Use the, the soap reading plan. Listen to worship music. But if all you have is a Sunday morning, it is good, but it's not enough. We need more pursuing God. And fourth is this. Be generous with God's stuff now. Okay? Contentment is not a financial status. Being satisfied is not a financial status. Contentment is a heart issue. When Tara and I, it's interesting... I had a lot of conditions, and so did she, as to who we would pursue as a mate in life. I, I knew I was called to be a pastor, so if somebody wasn't, if, if I didn't have a wife who was called to be a pastor's wife, then I wasn't interested. It's just, there's no reason for it, because it's, it's too difficult. Uh, they always say a pastor's wife will either make you or break you. So, but there's other things we thought too. I, was like, I thought, you know, are you okay with living in a parsonage? It had, it had to be there. You know, if, if God calls us to deepest, darkest Africa, a hut, are, are we okay with, with not having a lot? And that had to be a, 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 a mindset we had. Like, it might be possible that we don't have a lot in life, but we know what we're investing towards. And I'm not trying to pin a rose on my nose or pat me on the back. This is just, this, this is a mindset, a, a heart right. status that we had to have. It's for us, we had to say... How are we going to live this kingdom lifestyle? It's all about what we're going to pursue, what we're going to give our lives over to. And so we, we've made this, I mean, we, it's not even a promise that we've made, but we've talked about it. We'll be generous with what God has given us. And what blows my mind is how much God has blessed us. And with tithing and offerings and supporting kids and missions, it's never been an issue. It's never even been a thought for me. Because I've seen how God works. I mean, it's like if you went into this, I mean, imagine going into a business deal where somebody said, hey, you know what? I have a sure investment business strategy that is just going to blow your socks off. Your investment, 10%. I'll invest the rest. Well, yeah, I'm going to do that. I mean, I, I see all that God has invested in me. He, he, he made me. He made me strong. He gave me a good mind. He redeemed me. He put me in the United States of America. It is the best country in the world. I mean, I'm so blessed to be here. We have homes. We have food. We have all this stuff. God did all of that. He did all of the heavy lifting, all of the hard work. And he says, hey, 10%. Give me this because it's mine. It's all mine. But I'm going to... I'm going to pay you back everything else. I, I, can't, I can't even imagine what my life would be like if I didn't follow what we've been talking about today. Amen. You see, contentment, it's where I am. It's, it's where I am right now in Jesus. It's not where I'm at in my life. And I have goals. We all have goals. But I'm content with where I'm at because of whose I am. Do you have my umbrella? Okay. I don't use umbrellas much, but I was thinking about this. 
We've had some good rainstorms in the last couple days, haven't we? Yes. I, I, love, I love the rainstorms where it is like pouring so hard that if you're in it, you're just going to get soaked. But I also like, when you, you know when it's like pouring super hard, but it's not windy? And I love uh, going outside and the pouring down rain and then just go, and I just sit there. I just sit there like this and I'm thinking, I'm not getting wet. All around me is craziness, just torrential downpour, and I can just enjoy where I'm at. It doesn't matter where I'm at, what's taking place, it matters what I'm under. And when I live richly for God, I'm under something. Doesn't matter what's happening down the downtown streets of Seattle, doesn't matter what's happening around this nation. We're actually going to be getting to that next week. It talks about that. Because it says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yep. doesn't matter all those things. I'm under something. Yes. I'm under something. But as soon as you get out from under it, it's hard. You get soaked to the bone. You get cold. You get frustrated. The storm hasn't changed. Where you're at hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is what you are now under. Or better so, who you are in. I was going to use the example of like just being in your house by a hot wood stove. You know, and you're just sitting there just enjoying the heat, just radiating into you, just watching storms just, just drop down like crazy. And you can, you can it doesn't matter where you're, where you're at, it doesn't matter who you're in. That's, that's what this gives us. Contentment is not where we are in life. It's who we're in. We're in Christ. God has shown me contentment my entire life. Whatever I'm going through, whenever I feel attacked or I have a need or if I need help, I know he's there. I've, I've lived this verse, and I'm telling you, church, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm just a Christian guy, this works. <laughs> God has it all figured out. He knows what's coming. He sees the trials. He sees the successes that you have. He, he knows your future. And you have a hope in Him. Biblical contentment is not just being okay with what you're facing, but knowing that you're eternal in spite of that. That this temporary life is just that temporary. And God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You have a God who will help you, in your needs, he'll be with you when you're afraid, and he'll always protect you to where you can say, what can man do to me? Amen. Yeah. Hebrews 13, verse 6. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Amen. Put God first in your life. If you need to reprioritize some of your desires or your finance, financial portfolio to put God first, I would encourage you, just as a pastor and as a Christian, to do it. I would be a poor pastor if I didn't talk about this. I can't just skip the verses because they're there. But I hope that maybe you've heard it in such a way that you're like, you know what, I, I can see why that's important. And it may be the hardest step you take in your life if you've never done it before. Putting God first, putting Him ahead of, at the head of your finances. But you will see, I promise you. Heck, I'd give you a money back guarantee. 
that you put God first for three months and you will see a tremendous change. Not necessarily with financial balloons blowing up, but all of a sudden your tires last longer. All of a sudden you don't get sick. All of a sudden something's changing and, and the, the dollar stretches further. I can tell you a thousand stories, but I'm already three minutes over, so I'm not going to. But if you want to hear my stories, I'll talk to you for hours. God will even, he's even blessed me with guns. Seriously. Uh, just a really quick story. Just give me two minutes. I have to give you this one. Tara and I had been married for about two years. We had a, a car that was breaking down bad. And uh, we, we said uh, to each other, we were at a missions convention. We were living in Lewiston. And I said, I came home, I said, either God has to give us like 1500 bucks or a new car. Because this one will not go any further. And so we, we stopped. We prayed. I went and I prayed with we had an interim pastor. And I prayed with him. And literally, I came back home. And my brother called me. And it was a miracle in that. My brother and I, we, we love each other. We don't talk a lot. And uh, we, we talk for one of two reasons. It's a birthday. Or... Somebody's just died. It wasn't birthdays. I thought, oh no, what happened to mom and dad? That was my first thought. And just, just instantly I thought, oh no, my parents are dead. Something's happened. Because he was kind of choked up. And he goes, he goes Brian's like, I've been praying. And he said, God told me to give you my car. And it, it was like a year old. It was, it was like a, it wasn't just a nice car. It had like 40,000 miles on it. And he goes, when can you come and bring it? And when, when, when can you come pick it up? I said, I'll be there tomorrow. But so literally, this is in one day. We drive Denae Cell from Lewiston. I go and I pick up this brand new. So this is 2003. It's a 2002 Honda Accord EX. We had it here. It was our first car that we had here when we moved here. And then I no more get to Nacelle. We go to, uh, to the beach at Iwako to transfer the title over. And my Uncle Dave calls me. He goes, hey, Brian, I just picked up a couple guns. You want one? And it was in 2000. So this was in 2004, I think. Or, yeah. And so, if you know anything about like the, the, the different bands on weapons, the, like the, the AR band had just been lifted, and so I got a brand new AR-15 for my uncle. That was before 1639, so it's, it's legal. But, uh, you know, it, it's like I didn't just get what I, what I needed, God also gave me what I wanted. And it was crazy. And I'm not saying that it's, it's always that, it's not always about thinking more things we get. It's just crazy how God provides time and time and time again. This, this book, I, I don't see it as rules. Amen. I mean, not just money. Forgiveness, kindness, faith. Every time I've taken steps and followed God's word rather than my desires, I'm, just my mind is blown how it works so good. Amen. So put God first in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. For our ability to come together and to worship you, Lord, to hear from your word. I ask, God, that these words that you have given me through your word this morning would have been encouraging and uplifting to each and every one of us. Lord, I ask that we, we didn't hear that we're not good enough or that we're not doing enough. But, God, if there's conviction in our lives that we maybe need to be more God-focused rather than self-focused, let your Holy Spirit do that work in our lives. Father, if we have not been rich towards you, but rich towards ourselves, and rich towards the temporal rather than rich towards the kingdom, God, Lord, help us to make those changes and that we surrender ourselves to you, that we be under your blessing, under your protection, where we should be at. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you that this is a generous church that loves you and loves people. 
And so, Father, just help us to draw closer to you in this time. We love you. We thank you for this day to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon and be rich towards God. Don't forget to pick up your kids. If you have kids at 101, make sure you go across and pick them up at 101.